All right, if you have your Bibles, let's turn to 2 Peter. You'll be able to find it because it is a page after where your Bible probably automatically opens right now. Uh, so your Bible just sort of unfolds to 1 Peter, just scoot over uh, a step. And, and that's what we're going to start doing. We're going to begin our look at uh, 2 Peter uh, starting this week. And uh, hopefully you're as enthralled with First and Second Peter as, as I am. Uh, I think I I love I love reading the stuff that the Lord inspired, as we're going to see Peter to write, because I think Peter is one of the most fascinating characters in Scripture. Uh, I mean, when you think about it, we I mean, of all the people that we know in the New Testament and we know their lives, we know a ton about Peter. From, from the, the time we first meet Peter, when he's this, this fisherman, uh, till we get here in 2 Peter, we know over 30 years of Peter's life. Almost the entirety of Peter's adult life is chronicled in Scripture. He's, he's one of Jesus' first disciples, uh, who is introduced to Jesus, remember, by his brother Andrew. Uh, we have, we have found the, this Messiah. Uh, and remember when Peter first meet Peter, who we often think is this, you know, prideful guy that, you know, tends to stick his foot in his mouth. When Peter first meets Jesus, do you remember what he does? He cries out that he is too sinful to meet, uh, Christ. Uh, originally we know that his name is, uh, Simon or Simeon, but that P- uh, Jesus changed his name to uh, Peter or Cephas, uh, Cephas sometimes people will say, which means the rock, which would be a really cool thing if Jesus gave you a nickname and it was something like the rock. All right? It's like, thanks, you know, of all the nicknames to be given. It's better than like cheetah, right? Uh, to be nicknamed better than Peter's like, I'm going to call myself uh but as you look at Peter's life, he's this sort of rough and tumble disciple. Uh, Peter's life is up and down, just like ours. I think that's why we are we have such a connection with Peter, because he's not perfect, and it's obvious that he's not perfect uh, from from Scripture itself. He's always asking the wrong question, always saying the wrong thing. Uh, he's ready to die for Jesus one minute, and then the next minute is like running away. He's this sort of bastion of the faith. Half of the book of Acts is writing about how he's sharing the gospel and spreading it. And then at the same time, we know that he also has to be confronted because he was distorting the gospel uh, and had to be rebuked by Paul for it. Uh, So you get a guy who's a champion of the faith, and even this champion of the faith can become someone who's actually an enemy of the gospel in the way he's... He's sharing it and hypocritically uh, living it. But we know that Peter does remain faithful in the end. Uh, According to Christian tradition, he's crucified upside down. Uh, And they say that he asked to be upside down because he didn't think he was worthy to suffer the same fate as his Christ. Uh, And this, what we're about to read, that guy, that guy that we all love, that, that I think is sort of the everyman among the disciples. We all can sort of see ourselves in Peter. 
We think, you know, if I was a disciple, I'd probably be the one chronicled in Scripture as doing the wrong thing and always getting in trouble, where Jesus tells me to take a sword and then I get in trouble because I pull out my sword. Uh, you know, always, always doing that. Uh, and uh, I'm, I'll die for you, Jesus. You're going to deny me before the day's up. Uh, that sort of stuff. You know, oh, I, you know, Jesus is washing feet. I won't let you wash my feet. Well, unless... Unless I do, you've got no part of me. Then wash all of me. I don't need to wash all of you. I just need to wash your feet. Just tell me what to say, Jesus. Uh, you know, uh, that's how I feel. I feel like, I feel like Peter. And so second Peter is very poignant because this is his last word. These are the last words of this godly man, this broken and then redeemed righteous follower of Christ, and Peter knows they're his last words. You see it in chapter 1 and verse 14. He says, I know that the putting off of my body will be soon. So how? Knowing Peter and knowing that he knows that this is almost the end. It's his last, and, and, and it's, almost, it's almost like Moses' final sermon. Uh, knowing that this is the end of this man's life. And he's penning this letter to the churches. How could we not want to wade like heart deep into these words, into this swan song of one of Christ's most personable disciples? Like I said, that every man among the disciples. We know how imperfect he is, and yet we also know that God did amazing things with this imperfect man. So that's what we're going to do. We're going to walk through Second Peter. We're going to see this final letter, these last words of Peter. Um, and now I want you to know, First Peter and Second Peter are very different. So don't be like, okay, here we go, more suffering. Uh, no, it's not, it's not going to be that, and it's not going to be prosperity either. First uh, Peter dealt with suffering sort of as a believer, uh, and the grace of God found even in that suffering, continue to entrust your soul to a faithful creator while doing good. Sort of that theme is running throughout First Peter. Second Peter's different. Uh, Second Peter has a very different focus. It's written to believers to warn them about, you know, the dangers of a, of a particular set of false teachers and to encourage them to hold firm to what they know, to hold firm to the truth. If you were wanting to do sort of a comparison, that's not perfect, but, but as you could say if, if First Peter is, is written to prepare them for dangers from without, Second Peter is warning churches about the dangers from within. And so what we're going to do today is we're going to read Second Peter. We're going to read all of it uh, this morning. And I know you're like, well, how are we going to be done for lunch? Uh, in time, if we're reading a whole book, we're going to read it because you can read Second Peter in about nine minutes. That's right, nine minutes because I... I, I care about your time as well, and I timed myself multiple times reading it in different voices, sometimes with a British accent, sometimes not. Uh, and it always came out to write at around nine minutes. Now, I don't want any of you industrious children to hit start on your stopwatch so you can go, it was actually ten minutes. Uh, but And I know only the children would do that, adults, uh, as some of you slide your cell phones back in your pockets. Um, but we're going to read it as a whole because we can, because nine minutes is not a lot. 
Nine minutes, if you read it, you know, I wasn't just going, all right, here we go. And you know how kids, when they read, just try to read as fast as they can? Uh, we're trying to read it effectively, trying to read it, uh, as Nehemiah says, trying to read it clearly. Uh, and so, I mean, the fact that you can read this, and, and remember, that's not crazy either that Second Peter's at, you may go, nine minutes, that's short. But realize, half of the books of the Bible, 33 books of the Bible, can be read in less than 30 minutes. In less than half an hour, 33 of the books can be read in less than half. And when you're talking about the New Testament, 17 of the 27 New Testament books can be read in less than 20 minutes. So, I mean, if you read 30 minutes a day, in, in less than a month, you can have read half of the books of the Bible. In a month, if you just read 30 minutes a day. Less than a month. So, so remember that when you think about, when's the last time I read all the way through my Bible? And we are like, but the Bible's so big and it's so long. In fact, if, if you read 30 minutes a day, you can read through your whole Bible about two and a half times a year. And that's with taking weekends off. Uh, so, we, I mean, we've added these, these verses and chapters, uh, but originally, uh, we've got to remember uh, that, that it was meant to be read sort of in these big, uh, big chunks. Uh, and that's what I think. Remember that these, these are letters. Another reason we're going to read it is that this book, Second Peter, was given as a letter to the churches. Uh, where the churches would get the letter from the apostles, and they would sit down and read the letter. And guess what they would do? They would read it all at once, just like we read a letter. Can you imagine getting a letter from someone like, hey, Grandma sent a letter, and you get it, and you unfold it, and it's, you know, nine minutes worth of reading, uh, and you go, oh, golly, Grandmother got a little, you know, a little busy with her pen. Uh, can you imagine going, well, let's, okay, we read a paragraph. That's enough of Grandma's letter. Uh, let's put it up, and next week, maybe we'll read another paragraph of Grandma's letter. Uh, I mean, when you get a letter, you read it as whole. So it's, it's, it's going to be fun to read Second Peter the way the early churches would have read it, which is to get this letter from Peter and to read it together uh, and then begin to talk about what he has said. It's, it's funny that we've gotten so far away from that. We've gotten so used to reading a certain number of chapters. Even if we read all the way through our Bibles, we're like, well, I read three chapters in the Old Testament, three chapters in the New Testament, I read a Psalm, I read a Proverb. We get all this stuff. But it's, it's almost weird for us to just read a whole letter, even though that's originally how they were you know, laid out for us. But we also are going to read Second Peter as a whole for another reason. Because reading 2 Peter as a whole right now is going to help us to make sure that we see the whole forest before we begin to examine the trees. Okay, so we're going to see all, you're going to read, you're going to see it all laid out in front of you, and then we're going to go back and start looking at the individual parts. What we don't want is that when we're done, you understand all the pieces of 2 Peter, but you don't understand 2 Peter. Like, I don't, know, I don't know what 2 Peter is about, but I know what 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 2 is about, or chapter 3, verse 4. Uh, we, we don't want to do that, and, and we can be guilty uh, of doing that, of, of breaking the Bible into chunks of verses. And so, we normally know chunks of verses in our Bibles and sections of Scripture. I mean, how many times have you gotten into a discussion about, hey, what does this verse mean? 
And we'll have long, drawn-out discussions about what a verse means or, you know, what does this chapter mean? But very rarely do we have discussions about, hey, what does this book mean? What is this book about? You know, what, what is Ephesians about? We might go, oh, I can tell you what Ephesians 2 is about. Uh, hey, what is First Peter about? Well, hopefully now you can say that. If you can't, we're starting all back over. Uh, but think about it. How many, I mean... Just in our, we can, we can tell you, for example, we can tell you how Romans 9 fits into our theology, but we can't tell you how Romans 9 fits into Romans. I mean, that, there's a problem in there. Uh, and so we want to make sure that as we go through this book that we're just not becoming familiar with sections of 2 Peter without becoming familiar with 2 Peter itself. So that when something comes up, you can know, not I know a verse to turn to, you can say, I know a book to turn to. And, and, and really, if you've done any biblical counseling, you know how encouraging it is to Peter to go, or to Peter, people to go, hey, let me tell you a book you can read. And they're like, a whole book? You're like, yeah, a whole, there's a whole book of the Bible talking about what you're dealing with. Uh, and it can be very, uh, very encouraging. Uh, another reason we're going to read it today is because it is good to remind us that there is power in the simple words of Scripture. That just in hearing these words, that there is power. The, the, the power does not come from the preaching itself. It doesn't come from Zach or I eloquently sort of moving the text. The power is in the Holy Spirit's use of the word. We could come together and just read the Bible and we would grow from that. We would grow spiritually from doing it. In fact, some churches would probably grow more if they just did that. Uh, and quit doing the thing that takes away uh, from the text. The preaching that might pull them away from the Word rather than, than pulling them into the Word, which is, what, which is what our preaching is meant to be doing. We are meant to be, you know, as we give you the text, we're trying to help you understand the text so that when you read the text, when the text is, the, the words that we're getting are, are the living and active part. So, so take heart. When we read today, when we start reading Second Peter, you can take heart that God, through the Holy Spirit, is teaching you as you're reading. As we're reading these things, you're looking at the words either in your Bible or on the screen, you can know God promises that that word is not returning void in you. That God is you, and you may go, but I don't understand what it's saying here. And he goes, you don't have to. Like, I can, I can be using it, uh, maybe to, to grow you in another. Maybe you'll pick up this verse. Maybe, maybe I'm sort of planting the seed of these verses right here so that when we preach on it, you've been thinking about it for two weeks, maybe even thinking, what does that mean? What does that mean? Uh, and you've been chewing on it at home so that when we preach it and it becomes more clear, man, it, it hits you like a rock. Um, but, but it, rejoice in that just reading God's word today. Uh, God, God's Word is living and active. Uh, and it's going to be living and active in us reading uh, the Word. So uh, we will read Second Peter today. A few things I want you to look for, just to give you a heads up of, of where we're going. Just a, a, general, a few things that, that you'll notice along the way. Little signposts, little markers uh, that you can go, Oh yeah, oh, oh, I do see that. Oh, that is there. Uh, one, you'll notice the word knowledge comes up a lot. You're going to notice that the word knowledge comes up a lot or various forms of like knowing, to know, know, knowledge. That's going to come. Uh, and in many ways, Second Peter is a book about what you know. 
But it's also a book about remembering what you know. So you're going to see him, uh, especially at the end of chapter 1, into chapter 2, talking about reminding them. This is coming by way of reminder to you. I'm trying to make you remember these things. So you're going to see the importance of remembering what you know. Uh, a lot of times we think, you know, when it comes to Scripture, that you're, you're learning new things from the Bible. But Peter is going to be concerned not with teaching us something new, but of reminding us of what we already know. Uh, another thing you'll, you'll see is the surety of God's Word. That should encourage you. You'll see that God's Word is, is certain, that the things we do know, uh, they aren't our creations. The things you know, your faith is not just a human creation. We're not, the Bible is not just a man-made collection of writings. And so when he says, hey, remember what you know and this knowledge, he's saying, and remember this knowledge isn't from you, it's divine. It's from the Lord, and God is using it by His grace to grow you into something that you would never be on your own. Another thing you'll see is a reassurance in these letters that God is active. You'll see people questioning, is God slumbering? Is God being slow? And Peter comes and says, no, He's not slumbering. Uh, in terms of something like judging the false teachers. He is protecting his people. Uh, he's not being slow. He's still fulfilling his promises that God is very much active, even when our eyes can't see it. And we've got to remember that. There's got to be a faith aspect to that, to, to recognize who God is and who we aren't. Uh, and so to remember that God is always at work. God is not slumbering, nor does he sleep. Another interesting thing you'll notice in 2 Peter is God is praised both for rescuing and for judgment. That's going to be an interesting thing. I mean, we're not used to, to chewing on or thinking about that judgment is not a bad thing. Now, certainly someone that is living in rebellion should fear judgment. Uh, but in 2 Peter, judgment is a promise given to these believers. It's, it's hard to wrap our, our, our minds sort of around that, that sometimes, but, but God has Peter assure the people both that the righteous will be saved and also assures them that the wicked will be judged. That that's supposed to encourage them. And so we'll see in this book, God promises Christians that He's going to rescue them, but He also promises them that, that He will judge the wicked. That's especially true with these deceptive false teachers that are trying to lead the people astray, take advantage of them. And also, I mean, when you get to chapter 3, God promises that He's going to judge the, the fallen creation, and that, that judgment on fallen creation is what brings the blessed new heavens and new earth where righteousness is going to dwell. And it's the judgment of God, that fire, that is not a bad thing, it's actually a good thing, uh, that God says, hey, you know, God, this is going to happen. Take heart. God is doing uh, these things. So, if you wanted a brief outline that you could, I could give it to you, and then you go, I don't like that outline, I want to throw it away, I, I would do it something else, that's fine. If you go and read an outline of the book of Second Peter, you're going to have you read six books, you'll find seven different outlines. But the general idea is the same. So what we'll do, just as a simple outline for you guys, one uh, chapter one is know the truth. Chapter two, know your enemies. Chapter three, know the future. Simple. Again, you could nitpick that if you wanted to. I nitpicked it like a hundred times and finally just settled on it and said that's at least helpful. 
But right now, with those things in mind, the things I told us to look for uh, and in light of, of the other, let's read Second Peter. But before we do, we're going to take a moment and we're going to pray that God would bless our reading. And as we pray, we're going to rejoice because he already promises that he will. Uh, so this is easy praying here, praying already the promises of God. God, do what you promised you would do. Uh, Father, we come to you today, and Father, we're about to read a letter that you wrote to your churches, uh, among whom we're, we're a part of. And so, God, this letter is intended for us, your people, to read and to learn from, and, and that you will move through these words, that when you say Scripture is living and active, this is what you're talking about. That as we read these things... Your spirit is moving through these things, through these words that we're reading. They are going to pierce our heart. They are going to bring us to confession, repentance, rejoicing, praise, further obedience. And so, God, I pray that, that God, as we hear these words, that we will be treasuring them. That our hearts will be a a, a flutter, God, wanting to understand more. That as we're reading, we're trusting you and knowing, God, you're teaching me. You promise that you're teaching me here. That we won't get frustrated if there's verses that, as Peter says, are hard to understand. But that we'll be assured that we know that you're working through these words in us. Sometimes in ways that we don't know yet because you're bringing them to fruition. And so, Father, I pray as we read, we are celebrating you, worshiping you, rejoicing in you, and in this great gift that you've given us. And, Father, that we would humbly come to this word, but that we would also uh, come boldly before your throne, that you have written these words for us, that your glory might be seen in your people. So glorify your name, Father, as you promise you will do. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. All right, let's begin reading 2 Peter. I'll give everyone a chance to get their Bibles there or or follow along. I'm going to give a second for my contacts to clear up. Okay. Simeon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have obtained a faith of equal standing with ours by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. May grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who called us to His own glory and excellence by which He has granted us His precious and very great promises so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue and virtue with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For whoever lacks these these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins." 
Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. For if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. For in this way, there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Therefore, I intend always to remind you of these qualities. Though you know them and are established in the truth that you have, I think it right, as long as I'm in this body, to stir you up by way of reminder, since I know that the putting off of my body will be soon, as our Lord Jesus Christ has made clear to me. And I will make every effort so that after my departure, you may be able at any time to recall these things. For we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of His majesty. For when He received honor and glory from God the Father, and the voice was borne to Him by the majestic glory, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this very voice born from heaven, for we were with Him on the holy mountain. And we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed, to which you'll do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts, knowing this first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. But false teachers also arose among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you, who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the Master who bought them, bringing upon themselves swift destruction. And many will follow their sensuality, and because of them, the way of truth will be blasphemed. And in their greed, they will exploit you with false words. Their condemnation from long ago is not idle, and their destruction is not asleep. For if God did not spare angels when they sinned, but cast them into hell, and committed them to chains of gloomy darkness to be kept until the judgment, if He did not spare the ancient world, but preserved Noah, a herald of righteousness with seven others, when He brought a flood upon the world of the ungodly, if by turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah to ashes, He condemned them to extinction, making them an example of what is going to happen to the ungodly, and if He rescued righteous Lot, greatly distressed by the sensual conduct of the wicked. For as that righteous man lived among them day after day, he was tormenting his righteous soul over their lawless deeds that he saw and heard. Then the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trials and to keep the unrighteous under punishment until the day of judgment, and especially those who indulge in the lust of defiling passion and despise authority." Bold and willful. They do not tremble as they blaspheme the glorious ones, whereas angels, though greater in might and power, do not pronounce a blasphemous judgment against them before the Lord. But these, like irrational animals, creatures of instinct, born to be caught and destroyed, blaspheming about matters of which they are ignorant, will also be destroyed in their destruction, suffering wrong as the wage for their wrongdoing. They count it pleasure to revel in the daytime. Their blots and blemishes, reveling in their deceptions while they feast with you. They have eyes 
full of adultery, insatiable for sin. They entice unsteady souls. They have hearts trained in greed, accursed children. Forsaking the right way, they've gone astray. They followed the way of Balaam, the son of Baor, who loved gain from wrongdoing, but was rebuked for his own transgression. A speechless donkey spoke with a human voice and restrained the prophet's madness. These are waterless springs and mists driven by a storm. For them, the gloom of utter darkness has been reserved. For speaking loud boasts of folly, they entice by sensual passions of the flesh those who are barely escaping from those who live in error. They promise them freedom, but they themselves are slaves of corruption. For whatever overcomes a person, to that he is enslaved. For if, after they've escaped the defilements of the world through the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they again entangled, uh, they are again entangled in them and overcome, the last state has become worse for them than the first. For it would have been better for them never to have known the way of righteousness than after knowing it to turn back from the holy commandment delivered to them. What the proverb says has happened to them. What the true proverb uh, says has happened to them. The dog returns to its own vomit and the sow, after washing herself, returns to wallow in the mire. This is now the second letter that I'm writing to you, beloved. In both of them, I'm stirring up your sincere mind by way of reminder that you should remember the predictions of the holy prophets and the commandment of the Lord and Savior through your apostles, knowing this first of all, that scoffers will come in the last day with scoffing, following their own sinful desires. They will say, Where is the promise of His coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. For they deliberately overlook this fact, that the heavens existed long ago, and the earth was formed out of water and through water by the word of God, and that by means of these the world that then existed was deluged with water and perished. But by the same word, the heavens and earth that now exist are stored up for fire, being kept until the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. Do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill His promises, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. Since all these things are thus to be dissolved. What sort of people ought you be in lives of holiness and godliness, waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved, and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn. But according to His promise, we are waiting for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, beloved, since you're waiting for these, be diligent to be found by him without spot or blemish and at peace. And count the patience of our Lord as salvation, 
Just as our beloved brother Paul also wrote to you according to the wisdom given him, as he does in all his letters when he speaks in them of these matters. There are some things in them that are hard to understand, which the ignorant and unstable twist to their own destruction as they do the other scriptures. You therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, take care that you're not carried away with the error of lawless people and lose your own stability but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To Him be the glory, both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. Let's pray one more time. Father, we want to thank You for these words after we've read them. And Father, we thank You for all that You promised to do in them, both now and as we continue to walk through them. We thank you, Father. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. So just as we think about where we're going to go with Second Peter, and we think of, of, of these words, let me ask you, Christian, what do you know? Many of our problems, as in the case in Second Peter, aren't what we don't know, but believing what we do know. That the problem is that we're not rooting ourselves firmly in the knowledge that we do have. Peter said in this first chapter uh, that if we'll remember what we know, he says, then godliness will grow out of our lives like fruit in fertile soil. Do you wish your Christian life was more fruitful? Uh, Maybe you don't need a, a new chapter. Maybe you just need to start believing and living what you already know. Maybe you just need to remember. And that's what we'll do as we try and walk through Second Peter. We're going to try and grow you, as he said, by way of reminder, by way of remembering. So Christian, remember the truth. Remember what you know. Because remembering the truth will help you, as, as we're going to see in chapter 2, it'll help you not be deceived by false teachers by those who try and exploit you with false words, with plastic truth or teaching, who will try and mold God's Word to fit what they want it to say. You know what the Bible teaches, and you know where the Bible comes from. So remember God's Word. Remember what He teaches so that you won't be deceived by those who come in and teach something new. And remember that we know how it ends. Peter is encouraging these believers in chapter 3 that God is not slow to fulfill His promises to redeem His creation. In fact, He is redeeming it. That's why judgment hasn't swept the globe yet. That was a promise that these believers were waiting on. They were waiting on the coming day of the Lord. They, what did it say they were doing? They were longing for it and expecting it. They were yearning for it, waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God. Is that how you think about the end? Because I've noticed this in my own life and in the life of Christians. Many of us are not eager for Christ's return. And we're not eager because we've still got a bunch of stuff we want to do. Are you, as it says, are you waiting expectantly and longingly for the end? And as he asks, are you living in light of that great truth? 
holy lives? Why not? Is it because you've grown to love life in this broken world instead of believing that a life in a world where in a new heavens and a new earth where righteousness dwells will be better for you? That all the good of this world is just a foretaste of that great that comes? When righteousness dwells in every rock and crevice, every hill and valley and dwells in you? I mean, if, if, if you're anything like me, then you want the new heavens and the new earth to come just so the righteousness will, dre- will dwell in you. Just so that the battle in your own heart will be over. Just that rest alone should be enough to say, Lord, come. So we'll be working all these things in the week to come. As we focus on these questions, what do you know, Christian? How is that changing how you live? Are you growing in what you know? Not are you learning more, but are you learning to more faithfully believe what God has already taught you? Instead of going wide, are you going deep in the truth? Are you protecting what you know to be true? We know that false teachers will come. Not just people who are wrong, but people who want to deceive. Are you so rooted in what you know that people couldn't sneak in false words? That if they tried to mold God's word like plastic, that you would recognize their work? And is what you know, especially what you know about the future, is that affecting how you live today? Are you living a holy life today because of the promise of the holy life to come, as it says in 3.11, since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness? Are you living that holy life? Are you living like you believe the promises of God? Are you living as if these words are the mere words of men? That's what I want God to do in our heart this week. I want Him to teach us to remember what we no. And the good thing is, he promises to grow us in that reminder as we root ourselves deep into the things that God has taught us. We don't need new knowledge. We need to start believing the knowledge that he has already given us. Let's pray. Just as we bow our heads, I wanted the main thing we had today to be these words from the Lord through Peter. And so, I mean, if you remember the meditation that we had at the end, great. If you remember those things and you take them home and think about them, great, because I think that will, that will pull you back into, into these texts. But if, if you walk away today not remembering anything that we said, but remembering a verse that you read, or the situation that Peter was writing to, or maybe something that, you read and the Holy Spirit just convicted you through a passage or the text. or Maybe it was all of Second Peter and you were just blown away that God would take care of his churches by providing guidance like this. Maybe you, you know, have always said you believe the Bible is God's word, but these words about what it is, about the assurance that this is not just words of men, but are his words. Maybe you just are sitting in awe today from what you've read, but whatever it is, church today, I want us to thank God. I want us to thank God for this book that we're about to walk into, that we're about to root ourselves in. This is one of the greatest blessings 
he gives to his people. God speaks. In a world full of idols, we have the God who speaks. And he has spoken to us through his word. If we're here today to worship him, how can we not treasure what he has said to us? So be moved today, Christian. Just thank him. Thank him that he speaks and continues to speak through that word to our hearts today. Father, we want to thank you. We want to take a week, a moment, to think about what you've laid out in this book and to thank you for giving it to us and to thank you that as we begin to mine the words of this text, we will find rich soil for our Christian growth. And Father, in a world and in, where people are always looking for a new thing to sort of spur them on, a new thought that no one's ever thought of, and they've got to have this new thought, whether it's a new way to do this, or a new way to live, or a new way to diet, or a new way to whatever, God. People love the new. And to have you come to us and say that, you, that we already know the truth And that you can stir us up by way of just reminder. Father, we will see some great and glorious things in 2 Peter. But they are not things that we haven't seen plastered throughout your word. And so God, I pray and I thank you that as we walk through this text, you promise to do great things through it. That it will not return void but that, Father, it will accomplish your purpose. It will accomplish your purpose in my life as we walk through this word. It will accomplish your purpose in the life of everyone in this church as we walk faithfully through your word. And it will accomplish in our church exactly what you want it to accomplish in our church. And I pray, because it is a desire of my heart that we would glorify you as much as possible, I pray that you would bring just a great, time of worship and revival and rejoicing and obedience and holiness and godliness through these, the words of our majestic one. So, Father, thank you, and we praise you, and we wait expectantly, knowing that you never sleep, You never slumber, and you are never slow to keep your promises. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.